Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I was wondering, could I, in honour of the Scotland team of this particular game from the 2007 Rugby World Cup, just not introduce the podcast because <laughs> they didn't bother doing any rugby so why should i do any of the work as well good episode that great episode. yeah thank, thank you for listening done. that was all huge <laughs> thank you to rhiannon for joining us and being Pleasure probably <laughs> the most insightful guest we'll mm. ever get on the pod mm-hmm. yeah just nothing literally nothing that wasn't an absolutely Pearling insight. Thank you, Rhiannon. <laughs> and we'll see you next week when the game will be Australia. No, we did that last week. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm trying to keep up with Scotland and be just as bad as they were. There'll be always take another... a step backwards. That was also Scotland's mantra in this game. When we will be looking at another rugby, we'll see you then. Goodbye. Au revoir. <laughs> Alternatively, do you want to talk about the game or not? I'm so excited to find out how many people just pressed up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want the listener numbers as soon as you've got them. The what percentage of people just pressed up? <laughs> it's like when you see Netflix or say, oh, this is our most viewed thing ever. But what they mean is people watch 90 seconds because they start counting their viewing figures at like two minutes dead on. So if someone watches more than two minutes, then it's officially a huge hit. It's like, technically, there were eyeballs on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of them gave up after six minutes. And it's <laughs> an hour lot. But... To answer your question, though, I think we should do an episode. I don't think necessarily we should talk about the game. We should do an episode mm-hmm. which is linked mm-hmm. to the game. But we don't necessarily have to talk about it, you know? Okay. Okay, I think that's good to do. Me and Rhiannon have a lot to catch up on. Yeah, we've got, we've got a lot to talk about. I think we can yeah. do a, an episode that is vaguely themed on the game, much like... Scotland's approach to it was vaguely themed on rugby. It's a tribute. <laughs> so, as ever, delighted to be joined by Willow. And how are you doing? Well, I'm equally delighted. It's very nice of you to say. Superb. That is wonderful news. And even more delighted, yeah, it is a competition, <laughs> to be joined Dumbly. once again by our most reoccurring guest of all of the guests. The Jamie one, Wall. The only, the joint... <laughs> Most reoccurring guest, Rhiannon Garth Jones. How are you doing? How the Bonjour. devil are you? C'est un plaisir d'être ici. Oh, oui, oui. Fuck you. My French is better than both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We knew this. Uh, hold on. Let's let's give this a go. Uh, bonjour. Bonjour. Ça va bien, merci. Ça va? Et toi? <laughs> yeah, it's going well. Well done. That is actually better than I thought you would be able to do. I'm quite. I am at day 120 something of Duolingo. That's pretty and good. I'm still at day zero, but I'll get there. 
Yeah, all you've I have learned. You've got a GCSE though, so you don't need to. Yeah, I, I'm basically fluent. <laughs> I don't need Duolingo. <laughs> but like the thing about Duolingo is I'm just picking out the words that are the same as English and then learning about one new word every 10 days. Yeah, or like categorically that will not teach you French. No, no, I mean, it's not. I mean, oh. I know that like, I know what Avignon is now. I didn't before. That is about the extent of it. Avignon, the place? Oh, no, as in plane. Oh, right. Oh, Avion. Le yeah. voiture being car. This is the extent of it. A hundred plus days of five minutes a day. And you will learn a mild amount. Not enough to get you through 60 days there coming up later this year. No, I suggest that the first thing you do is use Google Translate to look up. I'm sorry, I'm from Wales. <laughs> <laughs> and then if they ask what's Wales, be like, Crucially not English. <laughs> yeah. Like Basque. J'habite à Pays de Gaulle? Yeah. I live in England, Wales, isn't it? Yeah, but they don't Which care. Is a, that's true. That's true. It's I close mean, enough. That's clear. When yeah. I was in Canada once, they asked me whereabouts I was from in the UK. And when I said Nottingham, they told me I was lying because that's where Robin Hood's from. And it's a made up place. It's true. So... It's yeah. the same with Wales. Wales is where Alan Wynne Jones is from, and therefore it's made up. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I obviously, at every possible opportunity, describe myself as being from Wales. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, easier, isn't it? They don't know what my accent means, so I can get. A, I, I can just get away with it. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. You're Welsh. Great. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, fantastic. Let's go. <laughs> at the last World Cup, I went to one of the fan zones in Kobe which was a really beautiful place to watch rugby because they it was on like the bay on the dock and they had like a big screen up up against the sea up against the harbour rather and then they had you know seats laid out and it was like at sunset as well when Japan were playing Samoa it was really lovely and I ended up spending all day sat on a bench with three elderly Japanese women who had just got into rugby during the World Cup and they were gone for a day out and brought a picnic along already amazing and excellent way to spend a day watching rugby superb and because that day England were playing Argentina, I had gone in an Argentina shirt. Okay. And they kept trying to speak Spanish to me. <laughs> and I speak no Spanish. And I speak... I you can say orange juice. The reason yeah. you don't know French is you try to learn Spanish. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? I did. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, outright, I think I got an E in Spanish, GCSE. So... Yeah, it didn't go ideal, but they were trying to speak Spanish. To, they were trying to speak a broken combination of Japan and Spanish to me, someone that speaks neither of those languages. <laughs> <laughs> and I, at one point, tried to explain to them that I tried to say like the Japanese word for Wales, which I've forgotten, and they looked so confused. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so is... I just went back to being, you know, from Uruguay or something. <laughs> it is one of those things that, like, it means you don't have to say I'm English and therefore mm. people don't immediately dislike you for not like trying to speak their language. Yeah. But it does also immediately lead to quite a lot of confusion about where Wales is. Mm. Which is a distraction from the fact that you can't speak their language. But also some... I, I it does prompt you to have more conversation in said language though, doesn't it? Yeah, which is so, what you're trying to avoid. Yeah, <laughs> it's not ideal. <laughs> But it is better than saying, I'm sorry, I'm English, and having a French person just say med and walk away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Just farting in your general direction. Which, I mean, is a totally reasonable response on that part, but, like, not (laughs) ideal if you're trying to get directions or, like, 
buy a croissant or whatever. <laughs> it's a very uniquely Welsh struggle introducing yourself to people and them not having an idea what the country is. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Because even, you know, if you meet someone from Latvia, I might not know much about your country, but I know it is a country. Or like, you know, like Americans and lots of people will will think that Scotland is part of England, but they have mm. at least heard of Scotland. Yeah. Whereas like, and the same for like Northern Ireland, they have heard of those places. Whereas a lot of the time people are like, Wales, what? Yeah. <laughs> do, do people often like think Rhiannon, Cornwall? Uh, and it's, you know, it's kind of, oh, that's a place somewhere, it's sort of yeah. British related mm. somewhere. Rhiannon, do people often think that you've got like a really posh RP accent, like people who aren't from the UK? No, people from no. Burnley think I have a really posh RP accent. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Nobody else does. I remember <laughs> seeing like in an interview, there was a point where like Dave Grohl did an impression of Liam Gallagher and said like, uh, and he walked in and was like, oh, hello, gentlemen, and thought he had a really posh accent. I was thinking like, do people think that just like any accent in the UK is exactly yeah. the same? You oh, can't no, tell like, they, like they can tell because they like, I mean, for, yeah, they can tell even my like, my kind of quite polished non-native English speaker accent that I use mm. at work because like most people there are like native English speakers, like they can tell that it's not proper okay. posh. They're also hilariously, like when I say, oh, this is not how I really talk. Like, this is not how I would speak like to my friends or my family. I talk like this to be clearer for you because you're doing me the courtesy of speaking English. And they're like, oh no, I'm sure I'd be able to understand you. Speak normally. <laughs> I do. And they're like, oh my God, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Like no, I take it back. I don't know. I don't know what the things you just said were, but like, please, please go back to speaking how you were. This happens repeatedly. <laughs> just, it's such a regular thing that now I'm like prepared when it comes up to slide into like a Burnley accent, which normally is like quite hard to do on demand <laughs> because I just know it's coming, and then I know that they're going to be horrified. Yeah. It's like, I would say, about 5% of my total interactions with other people, <laughs> which is quite a lot, actually. Mm. <laughs> like, I, again, in Canada, spoke to someone, because I was, you know, there during the Toronto Film Festival and everything. I spoke to someone about Ken Loach and about, the, you know, the film Kez, which <clears throat> infamously, very, very Yorkshire movie. The accents are reasonably strong. And the guy said, like, I tried to watch it three times without subtitles, and I just can't do it. I just need desperately needed subtitles to watch a Yorkshire accent. So honestly, I know I, I recognize there is a you know, but it's I suppose you don't appreciate how valuable a service you're doing, Rhiannon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I didn't realize I thought it was me being kind of like overly conscious of it. Mm. Because obviously, like when I lived in the south of England. And I had loads of friends from the south of England and they'd always be like, oh my God, you're the most northern person I've ever met. And I'd be like, am I the only fucking northern person? Yeah. <laughs> you're the ever? second northern person I've met. Burnley's not even that far north, actually, on a map. And like, mm. my accent famously in Burnley is like really quite posh for everyone else I grew up with. Like, get a fucking grip of yourselves. So I wondered if it was just like a kind of internalised like accent bullshit thing from that. And then the first few times... I mentioned it, people were just like, oh my God, the difference is massive. And that we have a Georgie guy at work and like frequently they're just like, you no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we don't. <laughs> There's actually a joke. One of our friends is like, 
when we do a presentation, make, people will be like, oh, like, do you want me to ask a specific question, you know, to like get you going on a friendly foot kind of thing. And the Jordan guy is just like not allowed to ask questions. <laughs> Unless it's me, basically, because everyone's like, <laughs> no, because it's too distracting trying to work out what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I often wonder this, like with Finn Russell speaking French, yeah. what's he like? Because he's got like, such so a thick accent. Words. Yeah. Yeah. Ronan Ogara. Yeah. But like, wasn't it Sean Edwards where there was a clip of him where he was going like, we need to fucking jouer and stuff, yeah. you know, and he was he just saw, like picking out select words. Sean Edwards definitely can speak. That I saw a clip quite recently. Like he, he can speak some French. He can communicate mm. like his fairly sort of simple approach mm. well enough. But I mean, he says it in a Wigan accent. <laughs> and I just don't understand. Like it doesn't really matter if you've got the words correct if you're pronouncing them wrong <laughs> i greatly appreciate that him making no account like no <laughs> attempt to go eddie butler and he pronounce just for no one yeah, no. yeah it is it is like quite brilliant but like also so like in danish i can read and write fine mm. like mm. not brilliantly but i can i can read and write fine and i can make myself un- like i can speak if i ha- like and make myself understood what i really struggle to do is understand danish people speaking to me mm. because the gap between what it looks like written down and their pronunciation is absolutely massive wow and like because obviously they know they can work out what it is that you're trying to say to them in mm. like a, my accent's all right but it's just like they drop they drop syllables it's so the word that looks this is the example i was used there's a word that looks like frederick's gate mm-hmm. no frederick's borg gate that's how you would pronounce it in English to read. And it's a bit like people being like, well, how do you pronounce Leicestershire? It's actually pronounced Frederick the Gill. Right. And just like intuitively, how are you supposed to know that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and you can learn each word, but it's not that consistent where they drop. <laughs> yeah. It's famously, it turns out, really quite difficult to learn because your brain sandwiches vowel sounds between consonants. And right. Danish, yeah, has, Danish has 40 vowel sounds and doesn't bother pronouncing half its consonants. Okay. So like, your brain is just constantly like, what the fuck? Yeah, because it's built on... <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sectioning that under really interesting things that I recognise I don't have the bandwidth in this lifetime to find out about. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do not, I do not recommend it. So if I go to Sweden or Norway, mm. I can understand what is being said to me absolutely fine. Because oh, wow. they pronounce the words, almost always the same words, just how you would expect them from right. them. So I go to Sweden and I'm like, yes, this is great. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> In the country where I actually live, Denmark, I'm <laughs> like, oh no, I'm sorry. Can you please speak English to me? <laughs> Wow. Like in Danish, I say in um, Danish, but that would be that would be even more unhelpful to the listeners than the <laughs> yeah. worth mentioning Rhiannon lives in Denmark for the listeners. Yeah, yeah that's why we <laughs> started talking about this. Uh, subtext probably under all of this. It's yeah, going we really well. It's going really, really well. I am yeah, very well pleased. look, all of this is a bonus, you know. We caught the podcast off after one minute. I think <laughs> everything beyond that is just like DVD extras. Yeah, this is just like the greatest Blu-ray like extra disc. Yeah, 
in, in existence. We've derailed this in completely the different way to the one I thought it would. would because I tried to bring us back by mentioning Scotland and you both just flew right past I've it. Never no, no, I was, expecting, I was expecting me and Rhiannon to have an hour and a half conversation about Bruce Springsteen. Uh, no, but I was going to let us like get into that after like the first five minutes of pretending. Like I really tried okay. to... Like the last time I came on, where I also tried to get us back on track, and the two of you were just absolutely not having it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give up now. It's in your hands. Okay, Thank I'll you. I'll bring him up later. Yeah. So, ostensibly, the game today is Scotland's fourteen-nil loss to New <laughs> Zealand in the two thousand seven Rugby World Cup. I do want to, before we begin this game mention a quote from your boy mr william owen your favorite child scott lawson oh yeah 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 i mean you say that he's just a player who's been really good a couple of times he's your favorite, favorite rugby player i ever. heard you okay. gave him another match yes, yes. repeatedly yeah forever he is currently quick, in quick. player of the tournament contention <laughs> current quick spoiler he isn't going to get man of the match today. no johnny mcginty and you also voted for him so yeah. he's currently tied with Foy Priya for player of the tournaments and i only gave poll. him two of those votes surely down to you willow that's You're not true. rugby league and all scott lawson i was listening you are all called <laughs> so before this game in the lead up this day scott lawson said to the media Every single person in this squad believes this is the team to finally beat the All Blacks. (laughs) (laughs) Should we just read out the team sheet now? So, Hugo Southall, Nicky Walker, Marcus DiRolo, Andrew Henderson, Simon Webster, Chris Patterson at 10, Chris Custer, David Callum, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Never heard of David Callum. John Barkley on debut. Age yes. 21. Yeah. <laughs> open side against a player we might have heard of. I guess we'll come back to it later. <laughs> Kelly Brown, Scott Murray, Scott McLeod, Craig Smith, Scott Lawson himself, and Alistair Dickinson. Dickinson also, also on debut. Also on debut at Lucid against Carl fucking Heyman. <laughs> also, we one believed thing. this was the squad to beat the All Blacks. About that. After the game, which finished 40-0, I audibly laughed when Scott Murray came out and to the media in the post-match interview said, oh yeah, so we had Al Dickinson and John Barkley were both outstanding on debut today. And it's like, I mean, fair enough. Like John Barkley, I think, actually played very well, made a really good account for himself, considering the absolute travesty he was put into. God bless Alistair Dickinson. I wouldn't call him outstanding. I'm surprised he doesn't have PTSD after that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never play rugby again if I had the debut he did. So, like, 60 minutes into this game, I think I mentioned this to you off-air, like, I had a revelation. Mm. And I had this memory of when I was, uh, like, 15, maybe, Mm. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school in Burnley, which was absolutely as unhinged (laughs) as you would imagine. You cannot come up with anything that would accurately depicts how unhinged it was (laughs) but so like broadly in my PE class it was very much split between the like very very like good dedicated hard-working quite sort of middle-class girls for Burnley Mm. and the naughty girls of whom there were for some reason fucking lords (laughs) in this one class who were all you know from they were rough as fuck and me 
And for some inexplicable reason, the PE teacher decided that she wasn't going to have the usual thing where we all pretended that actually we just couldn't be asked playing because we didn't like whatever we were being asked to do. So we'd all be like, I'm sick. She was like, no, no, <clears throat> none of you are sick. You're all playing, which definitely was an unacceptable position, even though we were all lying. So she made us play hockey. Okay. Which is a game with actual weapons. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair way to describe it's a game it. game with actual yeah. weapons. And she split the class. Or maybe, she, maybe there were four teams. But basically, she had a team entirely composed of, like, scare quotes, the good girls. And then a team. Oh no! I am composed of this the is Saint Trinian shit and me. <laughs> and obviously, like the naughty girls were just—I'm calling them naughty girls to make it fun because I mean they were fucking savages. It was the cheeky like, girls. It was most the mean girls. Similar vibe. Yeah, we're gonna—we're just gonna shit house our way through this because she's standing there on the sidelines, yelling at us, insisting that we play. That's a terrible idea. Technically, gonna play. But, like, we don't care about winning. We only care about pissing off the teacher and the other team. <laughs> We're not even going to cheat in a way to, like, beat them. We're just <laughs> going to make them as miserable as fucking possible and destroy any sense of triumph. Was Alex Callender passes. on your team? <laughs> Forged in the fire of this kind of bullshit. <laughs> this is where it's worth clarifying. When you said weapons, he did mean in this one school, machetes. <laughs> I, mean, I do have a, a particularly vivid memory of someone actually just like kneecapping somebody with a hockey stick. <laughs> but but it was more there were some occasional moments of actual violence. But it was more it was more that they were just like we're just not going to let you enjoy this at all. It's not so much that we're going to fight you. We're just not going to let you enjoy winning. We're going to take away all of the joy of this triumph. And it really felt to me that that is what Scotland did. <laughs> They were like, we're not going to win. In no scenario are we going to win. This is the second string team of a team ranked 11th in the world who were prioritising a game against Italy because they had just lost at home to Italy like three months before with their first red team. That's how shit this Scotland team were. In no scenario were they beating a New Zealand team who I checked were one to two favourites to win this game. <laughs> That's just taking money off you. That's not even, like, what? You can't bet on that. That's how... Do, it should have been a war crime, this game. <laughs> like, it should have been 90 points easily. And Scotland were like, no, fuck you. You will get no joy out of this. We will not let you run riot and score loads of tries and have fun. We will not make you look good. We are just going to be the worst opposition imaginable. Nothing we do will be good. None of it will be fun. A 15-person speed bump. Yeah. Is what they formed. <laughs> We're just yes. constantly going to take the joy of this victory away from you. you You're win. absolutely right. There's there two there two things right. One, Frank Haddon comes out after the game and is asked about right. his selection for this. Uh, which, by the way, I will once again back up Scott Lawson saying is the team that he thought was going to beat the All Blacks. Yeah. Um, so can I give you two questions before the game? Oh, okay. Yeah. From Frank Haddon, there probably is important context here, right? His first comment after naming the team was, as I've always said, the first criteria for selection is to pick a team to win the match. <laughs> yeah, he then said, the Scottish team that will take the part on Sunday will undoubtedly do their country proud. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So then, also, I did some do... research on this Scotland team mm. as I got 60 minutes into the match and was like, no, yeah. I need to go back and find some things <laughs> out. So I, can't, I can't take this anymore. They basically trained in secret for this World Cup. 
and they only did two warm-up games and basically everybody thought it's because they were so shit. <laughs> they like, it's not so much that they didn't want to show their hand. It was like they didn't want to destroy the tiny bit of morale they were <laughs> anyone to see how diabolically bad they were like it was an actual thing in the Scottish media so they were just hiding out of perfectly reasonable self-preservation and that it was going to be like a national humiliation this term. yeah so there was a piece in the Scotsman about how Frank Haddon was only giving them one word answers to every question yeah <laughs> It was like a whole like conspiracy theory about it. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> so with all of that in mind, Frank Haddon came out after the game in the mm. post-match interview, straight after the final whistle, and was asked about the selection for this, which, as you say, had, he'd backed up mm. and said, this is the strongest team to win the game. And he'd said, yeah, but, you know, if I'd picked the other team that was going to face Italy, then we'd have to have a day off, then train on Tuesday. Whereas now, actually, we're going to go to training tomorrow and we're going to really build something up ahead of the Italy game. So it's like he's changed his tune pretty quickly. (laughs) The whole build-up, the level from both teams of commitment to like the just absolute fucking shenanigans of it (laughs) was like excellent. All of the at the start, the Kiwi commentators are like, yeah, like this is the pull decider. It's a vastly changed Scotland team, but like they'll all think they deserve to be. They kept calling it the top 15, which I found very confusing. Mm. They just rank the players and then send them out as all that. (laughs) That might actually be a more sensible system than what Scotland did, to be fair. But <laughs> there was all this kind of like, yeah, yeah, this is the big game of Pool C. Like, no, it's fucking not. <laughs> the All Blacks set a points record in the pool stage <laughs> in this tournament. And that's including this, where they like, they wasted about 15 points off the tee in this game. And yep. Scotland were just being like massive dickheads. <laughs> Nothing about this game was in any way important to the outcome of the ball. <laughs> also, with that, Grant Fox is one of the co-coms. And I think he's great on this, actually, Grant Fox. I really mm. enjoyed his, his commentary here. Mind Fox. I really enjoyed Grant Fox's like, contribution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But in the pre-match, he says, like, oh, you know, Scotland are really going to put up a fight here. They've got some huge players, such as Hugo Southall and Andy Henderson and Nicky Walker. <laughs> and it's like, you're really selling it to us here, Grant. And, like, the whole, whole first half, he's, like, being really unbiased and, like, optimistic about Scotland. Like, oh, that's really good play by them whenever they've, like, knocked it on. Or, you know, there's a point really early on where they go for, like, a sequence of, like, about 10 to 12 picking goes. And you go, oh, this is okay. They've made a couple of metres here. Then the camera zooms out and they've got 40 metres to go to the try line. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's absolutely incredible. The starting bit, like, first 15 seconds or something. They've started the game and it's gone to a breakdown. And Queen Fox says, like, oh, yeah. This is uh, this is an area where Scotland, you know, like where New Zealand will think they have a real advantage over Scotland. Like, yeah, the, the breakdown, I fucking guess so, with Richie McCaw on the team. Also, again, this Scotland side. But he tries to, like, make a virtue out of it. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, it's really good policy from Scotland, actually, to, like, attack this early on, get a measure of your opponent's strength, see if you can, like, foot up in this area of the game. And then as he says it, like, Scotland just not the ball <laughs> You're just like, oh, you're trying so hard and they are never going to let you. <laughs> it's just so perfect. On the contrary, right, we've talked about how entirely Magna's League level this Scotland team is, <laughs> right? Can we please talk about the New Zealand squad that they've put out for this? I looked it's... at the squad and I couldn't see any good players. <laughs> There's no one who have... get into a Border Reavers team. 
after this game has finished, I've come to the conclusion that Dan Carter is a better fly half than Chris Patterson. Yeah. Hot take. Controversial. And not, and not just because Chris 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 Patterson had to go off after twenty one minutes. <laughs> yes. yes. By Dan Parks. I just the commitment to like shit housing awfulness in this game. Just for the jerseys. Mm. Right. Probably a masterstroke because how can New Zealand pass the ball to their teammates if they cannot tell who their teammates are? Because <laughs> everybody is basically wearing the same jersey. Yeah, that is one of the most extraordinary things about this game is the kit clash. It is yeah. impossible to tell which they're team wearing is the which same kit at any moment. It's, yeah, like, at, it's at one that... point, at one point, someone's offside, and I'm like, "How the fuck can anybody tell? <laughs> yeah. You're allowed to block for offside in a game where the jerseys are, are that similar." It's like, just so they've changed the New Zealand changed their strip to avoid a clash with the Scotland jersey. And they've changed into a strip which is which clashes even more even with more. the Scotland jersey. Why didn't Scotland change their jersey? Right? Yeah. Were they They're trying to get old. in the All Blacks' he- yes. like heads by making them I mean. change jerseys to the same ones they're, they're I wearing? I swear to God, I think this was a, I think this was deliberate. I think Scotland were just like, oh no, we don't have any spare jerseys. Sorry, even uh, though we'll just have to play in ones that are identical to ours, and therefore we'll all be really confused. They did a toss for it before the game. No. The who would wear their away jersey? Surely, when they did the toss, they should have held up the shirt and gone, "Okay, yeah. that's Are basic. That's the same colours as theirs." So actually, forget I'm what just, the coin says. I'm going to say now, spoiler: my dick of the day is the person <laughs> who allowed all of that. Yeah. <laughs> when they talk about you know the Premiership final that just happened, where Saracens and Sale both wore their away jerseys because colourblind fans yeah. would likely find it, you know, it's. This is what it would have looked like, where the only way you can tell the two teams apart are the patterns on the jersey rather than yeah. the actual colours. It, like, it was like an experience for everybody viewing what it would be like to be colourblind. Yeah. Except also, the patterns were really fucking similar as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, like, it's not even like they had, like, I don't know, quarters and hoops or something. No. Like, the shades of grey were the same. Well, the it's only way to tell it apart was the shoulders. Yeah, like Scotland had kind of like markings on their shoulders. The, the little bit at the, the sort of bit at the top across, yeah. The, yeah, across the shoulders. That's the only bit. And it's it's only, you can only see that when they're zoomed in. And basically the only times they're zoomed in is at a fucking breakdown. So like, yeah. you can't tell anyway because everyone's just done a, oh, it was. And McCall oh. was always in the wrong side of the breakdown so you didn't know which team he was on. Also, less lame, but later, <laughs> New Zealand started this game with three players in their team whose surnames begin with M. Mm. Which, which as a response to Scotland shithousery, I think is really funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they had Liam McDonald, they had Richie McCaw, and they had Luke McAllister. Yeah. And which... McAllister and McCaw spent a lot of time in that game. Like They, they came up a lot in the commentators' mouth. Yeah. And obviously, Liam McDonald had to go off injured for Nick Evans, who could feasibly be Scottish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was here as well. Yeah, very Scottish name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, let's talk about that All Blacks team because it's bloody incredible, right? The halfbacks, Byron Gallagher and Daniel Carter, that guy, whoever he is. Conrad Smith playing in the centres. Bloody Silvini Savato and Doug Howler on the wings. Literally what Scotland meant to do about that. This tournament, by the way, is probably like maybe the only time in my life that I can remember where I wasn't regularly watching sport. Mm. Mm. Like a sort of 18 month period 
before and after this tournament, smack bang in the middle of it, basically, for like various reasons. But so I have this kind of vague memory of this news. My my entire picture of this New Zealand team, basically, is that France game, mm. which I imagine it is for kind of a lot of people. But sure, in my yeah. head, they were kind of like cocky and a bit overrated. Yeah. Which I'll be honest, this game did not dispel that. (laughs) (laughs) Except that actually clearly, no, they were a fucking brilliant team. Or at least they were fucking brilliant players. Yeah. They were ridiculously good players. They did kind of look like they were barely trying in this game. I mean, yeah. They also contributed to the ennui, I think is how I would describe this game. (laughs) Just a performance of ennui. Yeah, who's Henry? French World Cup in Scotland. Kind of perfect. It's a kind of interesting thing because it's pretty early in the days of the no dickheads policy, Mm. which obviously was a response to John Mitchell's time as All Blacks coach. But then it kind of caught on as a like hard thing after this, you know, after the after this World Cup as well. And it kind of went, actually, we should be serious about that. And so they selected Sevier Reese and Shannon Frizzell regularly because it's a no dickheads policy, not no cunts. But yeah, I think a lot of it is that... There's an unlikable vibe about them I mm. think, as a team. And that is partly why, once I realised that the game was just like irredeemably dire to watch, yeah. I was like, no, you know, I'm just like all in on Scotland and they're like spoiling tactics like everything scotland do to ruin this for new zealand i've just entirely being all in on scotland is the worst thing you can do on this game they're fucking dire i will never forgive the two of you for this (laughs) (laughs) like to be clear i will never forgive you for this i look i'm not this game you made me by proxy be all in on this scotland team you all me horrible the world i probably I, should have told you the score before asking you to do it to not get your hopes up yeah no but i was like trying to be you know i was like no i'll go in like blind i'll have like a pure yeah experience. that was a fucking mistake as well that backfired was yeah that was on me but <laughs> the rest of it is on you too and i am really mad at you. i think there's something about this new zealand team that it's like when you see tom cruise interact with humans and you like he has this aura of him just being because he is that level of famous and star and movie star and everything else where he has this aura of like he's trying to be humble and down to earth but he can't because he is that far above everyone else like he's that level of famous also unlike you i think tom cruise is a dickhead so yes yeah well no i think tom cruise (laughs) is a dickhead but i like watching him in films i I don't um yeah i just like seeing him hang off like trains and planes and also automobiles which he should have been in Every movie he should have been in. But it's like, if ever you see him, there was a video of him at like a kebab shop in Manchester when they were filming. <laughs> him and Kerry some... Sweeney both. Yeah. But there was <laughs> like a clip when they filmed one of the Mission Impossibles in the UK. And yeah, there was a clip of him in a kebab shop and it is mental because he just doesn't know how to function as a human being. Behave around humans. <laughs> yeah. And the All Blacks way... are a bit like that. And Scotland is just like a bloke from down the pub that's trying to have a chat with the All Blacks. And they're like having to come down to their level, and they look like out of body. There's something like so far. Anyone know John Barkley is just yeah. like, "Hello, Mr. Richard." <laughs> <laughs> um, Robbie, are we going to Hi. play Nicky Walker World Cup later? We, we will. We will. We will. Okay, we will, good. We will. Thank you. I really like playing Nicky Walker World Cup. Um, we'll play that later. Yeah, it's my favorite game. It's better than uh, <laughs> rugby. However, I have got something else worth bringing up. Right, go on. 
having had a glance at the teams, this game was played on the 23rd of September 2007. Okay. Okay. Right. However, wouldn't you know the 23rd of September is for what a day in the history of rugby union it has been. Do you want to hear some other things that have happened on the day of this game in the history of rugby? I mean, I'm Christ. curious to see how good or bad this is going to go. So, oh, sure. <laughs> okay, there's a couple of things that are interesting, and then there's a, but we'll start with the ones that aren't. <laughs> good, great. <laughs> so, 2001, on the anniversary of this game, Johnny Wilkinson captain Newcastle for the first time, youngest captain they'd ever had, went on to score 17 points in a win over London Irish. I have no reaction. Carry on. Cool. Thank you. How long um, until we both have our heads in our hands that last time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 1978, uh, Dusty Hare for England uh, set a world record for most points missed from the boot. That's um, amazing. And also not a real name, not a real fact. Yeah. <laughs> in 1990, the USA defeated Japan in a World Cup qualifier. It's a real stretch to even call that a thing that happened. Never mind, I'm not interested in one, but... <laughs> <laughs> in in 1939, the, however, this is this is getting there. It was the anniversary of rugby being allowed to continue after the war. The RFU and the Welsh RFU, as it was at the time, before the what WWE. a shame they let it carry on. I know. Also, they, sorry, 1939, the anniversary of when they carried on, they reconvened rugby after the First World War. For the Second World War. Shortly to be stopped again, yeah. the Second World War. It's like six weeks of play before they just gave up again. <laughs> That's some fucking time. <laughs> or maybe I've got the wrong. It, it, just after the war is what's written here. You're the historian, Rhiannon. I mean, I'm However, not a modern historian, but I do know that the Second World War started in 1930. Yeah. <laughs> it, maybe they started and stopped, and I don't know. It's a great fact. Next. <laughs> however right it's two very strong ones okay in 1967 a game in what would have been the top division at the time between coventry and sale was cancelled after sales team bus crashed through the hedge and onto the pitch (laughs) instead of parking great stuff good yeah uh, the sale captain happened to be a medical doctor and administered first aid to two of the players and then accompanied them to hospital. Just a good anecdote. But the main one, right, this game was on the anniversary in 1995, just 12 years before this game, was the day that Will Carling was spotted outside with Princess Diana, outside that sports clinic, leading to the all the rumours and everything starting up around Princess Diana and Will Carling. So the news the world reported that Princess Diana left looking grim and unhappy, and I believe it is in tribute to that that Scotland were paying. (laughs) So one, such is my uh, lack of interest in the royal family that I genuinely didn't know about the Will Carling and Diana rumours till like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And... Two, do we think that John Barclay had a list of these facts, like written on you know, his armband, like fold some cunt, but like actually just a list of incredibly boring facts? This is Richie McCaw's ear to distraction from the breakdown. <laughs> I like, hope so. Just in case he needs some reading in case he gets bored during the game. Just, 
like packing down in the scrum opposite Carl Heyman and Alistair Dickin is like, did you know 12 years ago? <laughs> and Richard McCall's going, what's that on your arm? You've got your interesting facts there. <laughs> well, that is really good. <laughs> Johnny Wilkinson led out Newcastle for the first time <laughs> five years ago today. That's really nice. Thanks for telling me that. Like, anyway, oh, get fucking battered. <laughs> look, I had nothing to say about the game, so I thought I'd look something else up. Nope, well, I mean, I think that's about as about as interesting as the game. We can at least talk about the pre-game, because in that there is the most haphazard, umpar version of God Defend New Zealand, which oh. starts playing, and all of the players simultaneously have their faces drop, and they go, fuck that, I'm not singing along to this. This sounds terrible. Yeah, real, real chaotic. Floral Scotland, always a banger. Always mm-hmm. a banger. Kind of interesting fact, I think at least by the very generous definition of interesting that we're using so far. I think this is the first time that they did the Kapo Panga Haka at a World Cup. Oh, Correct, yes. And it was only like two years. They introduced the Kapo Panga Haka in 2005, and it was really controversial mm. um, because of the like gesture that's interpreted as throat slitting, but actually in Maori culture is about like, drawing air into your lungs or something. Mm. So, like, when they introduced it, there was loads of controversy and they didn't use it for quite a lot of games. So when they did it in this game, it was actually, like, kind of a big deal. Yeah. And it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's a really good hacker, this one. They stood, like, six or seven metres away from Scotland who were all lined up on the halfway. And the All Blacks are just like, no, we are not respecting this 10-metre gap. It's Well, I say the All Blacks. Ali Williams just decides, I'm going after all of you. Ali Williams, much like Samson Lee, is scared of no fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Having absolutely none of the rules. (laughs) Honestly, man, him eyeballing everyone, going up to basically every individual in that Scotland lineup and going, I'm going to kill you, going to kill you, going to put you on your ass in the first two minutes. Basically children, most of these Scottish players. Yeah. On the list of things that are very unfair that New Zealand do. Traumatising. <laughs> yeah. And Richie McCaw, bloody terrifying as well, eyeballing, you know, yeah. the younger Scotland players and giving oh, them a look like, you're going down. We joked about how shit the team that Scotland named is because they were preserving all their best players for the Italy game, like, sort of three, four days later. Mm-hmm. New Zealand strengthened their team <laughs> from the last one. They brought in better players for their important fixture against Scotland. The cruelty <laughs> to do that and then do that hacker. Amazing. There's a moment at the start of the hacker where you can see Arlie Williams change. Mm. Yeah. You can kind of see like his body like shake and suddenly he comes out as this like beast that has risen from the ground. It's like being sort of on the wings of a stage and seeing like a performer like... Sort of just like get ready, like take the breath, get ready, and then step out onto the stage. Yeah, yeah. Ali Williams is just like transformed into. He's no longer what, human. What kind of performer might have recently played at Murrayfield, Rhiannon? Oh, good question. Let me think. <laughs> Who do you think is at the time of recording the most recent person to have performed at Murrayfield? I mean, at the time, it's not of... Beyonce. Which importantly, Damien Hoyland. Other release. <laughs> I think it was Bruce Springsteen. I think it was. I think it was. Multiple guests from this series of the podcast were at that gig. Yeah. Hmm. Johnny McGinty and Andrew Ford were both there. 
multiple people on this podcast wish they were on that podcast. Yes, yes. I did get asked by a friend if I wanted to go with him like a week ago. And I was like, yeah, that would mean spending like multiple hundreds of pounds to go to Scotland, not stay the night, just go straight back to the airport and then somehow find the way back, my way back because there was rail strikes on. And also obviously not do anything productive, which obviously I was then like, well, I can't exactly do all of that as much as that does sound like the best idea ever. Because I have to be professional and do this podcast. Yeah, quite. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Robbie's face. Others is just like I don't even like Bruce Springsteen, and yet I am puzzled by this. Sorry, decision. no. I don't even, how do we get? How do we get back to where we were discussing? How do we do a pod? How do we go back to doing a podcast now? Do I don't know where we were. Well, anyway, so back <laughs> Moonwall, back at the rugby, as <laughs> they, they might say, <laughs> back at the rugby. <laughs> you might have a little game called the rugby. You might have heard of, although. Funny you should mention this. Great to have you on partic- in particular, Rhiannon, right? Oh, so the Guardian's live blog coverage of this, I assume it's some sort of error. If Lee was on, he could tell us in detail where they've clearly clicked on the system for cricket rather than rugby because everything is labelled. Every try is labelled as a wicket. Explain <laughs> 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 the scoreline. Yeah, I this thought it was a one-off error. <laughs> this is the kind of crossover content I want. <laughs> but no, so like New Zealand's first try is described as a wicket for Richie McCaw. <laughs> all of them, every try is then says wicket. Instead of saying minute, it will say like eighth over, fourth oh, over, yeah. 53rd over. So yeah. it's kind of done in reverse and Scotland got zero runs. Is that the way it is? And they've been well, bowled yeah. out like four uh, times. Full time. It doesn't say full time. It says stumps. Very impressed with your effort to talk cricket there, both of you. <laughs> I was I was struggling. Well played. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things people talk all the time about. Oh, this is a cricket score, and I'm like, no, it's fucking not. Have you ever watched a game of cricket? <laughs> a cricket score, like then, 84-4? That's not a cricket. That that would be the way round it works, though, right, Rhiannon? It... <laughs> yes. Let's not okay. Okay. But, fair uh, enough. Yes, I do like that fact. I can't remember how it connected to something in my head, but what I was also thinking was there is something weirdly modern about this game mm. to watch. Like if you disassociate from it enough that, you know, it's not like a an actual form of torture and you only sort of pay attention to the, like not the highlights because what would they be, but uh, you just sort of tune in and out. It had a weirdly modern vibe at times, like New Zealand's kicking game mm. was quite recognized like if you mm. weren't you know if, i agree if you, with that if you weren't us maybe like if you were just like a more normal person watching yeah it, yeah it would be really like identifiable like even like the kick pass that carter does really early on that Sivavatu just like fucks yeah. up the little grubber that he put both examples where they fuck it up and it was maybe the wrong call but, but it's too nice. easy to find space isn't it for them yeah, yeah. like it's, it's that sort of counterintuitive thing of like scotland does so shit that the things you would do to sort of find and make space just kind of aren't really, mm. like, they don't really work because Scotland are too busy fucking up something else that they've identified. Yeah, yeah. Like, that little, the cross kick, the little grubber, there's a couple of other things, the way they kind of tried to manipulate the Scottish defence. Yeah. Was really I, interesting. I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because the very first scrum of the game, 
and this is becoming a bit of a theme on the last few episodes of this pod, but Scotland on their own putting get annihilated by Carl Heyman. Like the ball, they, they absolutely march through on the tight head side uh, and the ball comes out and Dan Carter goes, yeah, great. Let's just make use of this. Let's just really lean into this. And so he places a chip kick onto just short of the Scotland try line, forces Southall to carry it back. And so they get another five metre scrum. Yeah. And so they're really leaning into that and just going, it's right, okay. It's really weird thing. It's like, th- you think there would be loads of penalties, like scrum penalties, mm. because yeah. of just how much Scotland... Like, it's so... It's ludicrous, the difference between their ability. Yeah. But New Zealand are just like, no, fuck that, we don't want the penalties. We're going to do waste... Maybe also because Carter couldn't kick for shit in this game. <laughs> but they were just doing so much more, like, clever, interesting stuff with mm. it. Like, yeah, no, we just, Like, that first McCaw try is actually a thing of beauty. Yeah. It's just such, it's so simple, but it's so lovely. Like, yeah. I want to see someone run that now. Just yeah. like the dummy runner out the back, the way that Kelleher is like also kind of dummying, and then just the, that little back offload into, oh, I can yeah. Play. So it's a back else. row move off a scrum. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they could, that... because they'd already smushed them. Like, yeah. so. that, that's the thing, though, because well, it's. Go on, Robbie. No, it was something I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but Eddie Jones said it was in 2019. He was asked, like, what do you think would be changed between now and 2023? And he said, you know, I think we'll have like a big rise of kicking that didn't die, die off just before the World Cup, which is happening. And he said the other thing he thought would happen is a big increase in back mo- row moves coming back into fashion. And it hasn't happened. No, and it may not yet. yet, you know. But yeah, it just shows how effective they can be once you hit the professional level and no one's looking for them. The move is Rodney Soyalo picks and goes mm. on the blind side on the right hand side as you say Rhiannon like Kelleher and Carter and McDonald are making loads and loads of noise outside yeah. and he just flips the ball behind his back on the inside to McCaw who's running that inside line and he just scores because it's a five metre scrum it's, it's so fast and so good that you actually can't see it happen mm. from the original angle it's when they replay it from behind the try line yeah you see what happens and I mean even if they were wearing actual jerseys that you could tell <laughs> as a part you yes. still, it was such a fast clever move and the mm. angles were so perfect that you wouldn't have seen that in real time like in normal jersey. the other interesting thing is so of course for a move like that where it goes back on the inside towards the scrum McCaw there is the defending number eight man it's eight's job to get out of that scrum and get into that gap that McCaw goes into you know because seven has to either cover nine or the eight picking you know but mm. because the New Zealand scrum is so completely dominant eight can't get anywhere near out of the scrum he's probably on his ass with two second rows and a front row on his face you know like Heyman has done such a job on Dickinson that what's his bloody name David Callum can't even think about getting to a gap wikipedia David Callum wikipedia David Callum just led down on the floor crying, <laughs> bemoaning his present and his The 1987 Romania players had Wikipedia pages. Absolutely. <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> Does he have a LinkedIn? Or... I didn't even bother looking him up no. at all. Can you, have, can you get the AI to make um, a page for him, a Wikipedia page for him? Probably, actually. I think we should put in a bat signal to Cameron Black. Uh, and see yes. if you know, like team of Wikipedia editors can do some work. So by the time this oh. comes out, people will look it up and be like, oh, no, he does have a, a Wikipedia page, actually. Yes. And it turns out he's like a nuclear physicist, <laughs> and also a ballerina. <laughs> and a diplomat <laughs> for two of us. It's yeah, amazing <laughs> to find out that he was hosting University Challenge for four years. Yeah. <laughs> just I've just realised I could 
cut out all of the stuff of us saying he doesn't have Wikipedia yes. and we can make up a backstory for him and get Cammy Black on the case. I'm sending the bat signal now. <laughs> <laughs> right, but so the other, to get us back to vaguely on point, the other yeah. cool thing about this move, because it's one of like three things that may be actually interesting to talk about in terms of the rugby, yeah. is the dummy line that Kelleher is running and everything about Kelleher in the first half, at least for this game, is like a really... I don't remember this guy at all. Again, this is the period where I'm not paying any attention to rugby. Mm. And I think also at this point, definitely anyway, like all of my knowledge about rugby would have come from my granddad, which yeah. is probably why I didn't like put fair attention to this World Cup, because he was probably like, Will's a fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> not ruining this blossoming support I've managed to engineer in my only, gra- I, the only one of my grandchildren who's interested <laughs> by exposing her to this fucking chapel. <laughs> but so, like, I have no memory of Baron Kelleher at all. Mm. But he's got like a very. Seems like the sort of player you'd like. He's got a very proto Antoine Dupont vibe. What he played for Toulouse, yeah, when Dupont was yeah, in. Yeah, in the like, he's like. I'm just going to be a forward. And the New Zealand commentators keep, especially Grant Fox, but all of them, keep talking about, like, the way he uses his physical strength like a forward. And I'm like, it's like you could just superimpose this over DuPont with, like, a little bit more hype. And it would be, like, a very... That, that was one of, the, like, the the really kind of weird, like, modern elements that actually just mm. was not, except kind of weirdly there's just this random number nine who's, like, I don't know... 18, 17 years ahead hmm. of DuPont. Sure. Many years. I suppose 10 years before he's making his debut. Yeah. Yeah. 16 years yeah. before now. The peak DuPont so far. Yeah. And like, yeah. we can jump around a little bit, but Kelleher scores that try later on in the half where yeah. it is very much as you've described. Like, he spots the space just before it opens up. Like, he just figures out the way the Scotland defence is going to fold and knows, oh, I'm strong enough to get into that gap, which is, yeah. you know, like a precursor to what a lot of scrum-offs do these days. It is very like the kind of try that Mike Phillips or DuPont would have like, would score. Just like, yeah. I, again, scrum half, I am bigger than the Scottish forwards. <laughs> <laughs> Notionally, to beat the All Blacks for the first time. Yes. <laughs> Also, a couple of things about that try, right? First off, Robbie, it starts with the move. You know the move. The move, yes. It starts this with is... the move. They run the move. Rugby 04. This is a guaranteed try, right? Even if it takes oh. a bunch of bullshit in the middle, but it's I a guaranteed try like every time. I've played a computer game because I've heard you talk about the move and the guaranteed try. Yes, yeah, the move. <laughs> yes. So in Rugby 04, which we played on PC quite a lot as kids, there was an option at a line-out where every time you had a line-out, it just paused and would ask you where you want to throw in the line-out and what move you want to run off the line-out. And one of them was you throw up to the the guy at the front and he throws it down to the hooker, right? And providing you get like, you accelerate properly on the first two metres, you score because yeah. no one drifts across in time. So the amount of tries we scored off like, you know, who would it be like Hugh Bennett running it in from 70 Steve metres Jones, down yeah. the touchline? Yeah. Because <laughs> it was just a guaranteed try if you got a line out. You're and they run that. Run it in. They ran yeah. that and it did eventually work. The other interesting <laughs> thing about this is Dan Carter does a pop off the floor, but it's not a pop. It's a full spin pass where it goes like 20, 15, 20 metres to Carl Heyman, who stood like on the other side of the pitch. Mm. And then Chris Marceau, like, is in loads of space and carries the ball. And it's like, Dan Carter, how do you have that much vision when you're literally, you've got your head in the turf? Carter had such a hilarious game of, like, 
I'm going to miss almost everything off the tee and I'm going to be like endlessly frustrated by like the most annoying opposition of all time. <laughs> but I am also just going to do some stuff that makes you want to weep at my brilliance. Yeah. <laughs> because the- even this cannot drag me down. <laughs> the BBC article on the game describes him as uncharacteristically poor, which is... Disagree. Not the case. I mean... No. Uncharacteristically poor off the tee, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Mm. Then in, when he misses another pick later on, he says Carter's miserable day continued when he missed this conversion. That's like someone, I mean, I, I'm going to just absolutely guess that the, the person who wrote this thinks that kicking is a fly half's only job. I'm kidding. Probably, yeah. yeah. Never mind specifically kicking for touch, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, which Chris Patterson couldn't do, by the way. Oh, so, Jesus. I, we haven't really. Sorry, go on. Shout please. out for Chris Patterson's idea to immediately go for a drop goal in response to that try. Yes. So I love that. Get some points on the board, just like make the whole thing less humiliating, like reduce that scoreboard pressure and the immediate kind of like punch to the gut for these young like players. Great idea. Well it, annoying that it has to go through the posts to get the points though, isn't it? Basically the whole thing just sort of set the tone. Yeah. <laughs> like not a bad idea diabolical <laughs> i really like it as an idea of yeah. like one phase and drop goal like we're right back in this we're taking yeah, the yeah. game to you like surprise something sort of <laughs> like there's a there's a reason it's a surprise because it's maybe not the best yeah. <laughs> but you know still give it a go like it's very the whole game for this team is a shot to nothing the drop goal effort is like emblematic of that and then the the failed outcome is also emblematic <laughs> It's just like a microcosm of the whole thing. <laughs> it was as this was going over as well, as the ball connected with boot, I thought this is a great option. As it was sailing towards the post, I remember that Scotland scores zero points in this game. Oh. I didn't know and... that Scotland scores zero points at this time, but it was also one of those where you you could just see Yeah. Curving. It's it's just not on. Like the charge down is too close. There's not enough time. It's yeah. just obviously kind of going to the, yeah. Chris Patterson goes off on 21 minutes, but he is bloody terrible at yeah. fly half in the God time he bless him. Like, yeah. I love Mossy, bless him. Not a fly that. half yeah. and not good conditions for this. And he is atrocious. It says yeah. something that, like, basically Scotland's only good established player, they played out of position. It was fucking dreadful. And he went off after yeah. 20 minutes. <laughs> God, I felt for him. Yeah. And also, Leon McDonald on the other side also went off at the exact same time as Patterson, really who was quite, brilliant. I was really gutted that we didn't get to see more of him because, like, yeah. I genuinely think this game would have been still bad, but like less hateful. Mm. Yeah, stayed on. He was doing some fun stuff. Do you want to know a fun thing that probably encapsulates just how poor Scotland were just generally in this game? Mm. And that's a sentence I can probably repeat. Do I? I watched it. The listeners who I am begging you do not watch this. No, honestly, it's not worth it at all. (laughs) So there's a point where Leon McDonald goes off, changes his boots, comes back on and then carries on playing and Scotland don't notice. (laughs) He's playing fullback, just boot it into the backfield. I presume Doug Howlett covered well, for him, like, but Scotland's... they played with 14 men while one of the lads was changing his well, shoes. Scotland's attack. Just after the drop goal, there was this absolutely iconic moment where, like, New Zealand are breaking down that right wing, where, like, a lot of the action was in the first half. And uh, I think it's 
So number four, so I think it's McLeod, Chris McLeod, really flailingly tries to stop them. Mm, Scott's uh, legend, Scott McLeod, that is. Yeah, uh, yeah that guy. <laughs> I'm not participating in this with you. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Rhiannon, carry on with your point. Yeah, so New Zealand breakdown, and then uh, they fuck it up somehow. It doesn't really matter. It goes back again from the other side to show you the, the slow-mo angle on the Scottish number four. <laughs> Tries to, ta- like, first of all, fails one tackle, recovers, tries and fails another tackle <laughs> off the ball because he's so slow. <laughs> the, the ball is like two passes ahead of him and he's just like slow mo flailing in the air at this guy who had the ball like five minutes across. <laughs> and it was just like, this is the, it's the TV guys. This is cruel. Stop doing it. <laughs> oh. You could have just clipped this like four second moment and be like, this was basically the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. And it's Liam McDonald, I think, who's like got the ball and just like gloriously sprinting down the try line <laughs> until they fuck it up somehow. No, just the sheer difference between watching New Zealand attack and watching Scotland attack. Yeah. I you just... talked about how timeless think... a lot of what New Zealand's doing is and how it doesn't seem that different until you see Scotland get the ball and it's so shapeless and useless and the fact that they at one point go something like eight pick and goes like really narrow pick and goes on their own 22 meter line yeah as though they're trying to cross the try line but it's their own 22 setting off on a pilgrimage this <laughs> yes. is what... it's this the what... most this miserable is flashbacks of the ridiculous hockey game Mm. I, was, I was like trying desperately to work out what Scotland might have been intending to do because they had at half time, I wrote this down, something like 56% possession. And I was like, no, what the fuck? No, they can't have had the ball for more than half of the time that has elapsed. What were they doing with it? I don't remember them ever attacking. <laughs> like, absolutely not. And actually, I don't, they weren't attacking really. They just sort of technically had the ball so that New Zealand didn't. Yeah. Have- yeah, I think you're right. It really goes into that theory you were saying of them just trying to piss the All Blacks off. Like, the like second no, half... It. If we have it and we keep it, even if we don't go anywhere or do anything with it, yeah. then we can't have it. Like, you I can't score at that point. And in the second half, they minimise that even further by just resetting scrums the whole time. And that's genuinely their best period of the game is they have two segments of about six or seven minutes where it's just reset scrums because they're just they're just thinking, well, we're on the clock down, they can't score. And that's just all they're doing is resetting scrums. There's a point yeah. at, like, is it like 56 minutes in or something where mm. the score is only 23-0? And yeah. Like, this game could genuinely have been, like, eight, like 100 points. Yeah. Yeah, it's 20 points in either half. It's 20 nil at half-time yeah. and 40 nil at full-time. And they stretch it out, actually, apart from the one time that Carter actually gets a kick from a penalty immediately after half-time. Scotland Mm. keep keep New Zealand scores for ages. I'm like, I genuinely like, this is a triumph. That's incredible. (laughs) You're doing really well. All you TD boppers there in the front row, like, I'm really proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm that deranged Scottish coach, I'd be like, yes, lads, this is going really, really well. More of this. But that's it, isn't it? They get to a point where they're going like, this is... I mean, so there's a moment quite early on, shortly after the Patterson misdrop goal, where Scotland get the ball back from the 22, and they have this one running, flowing attack. And Simon Webster, who they talk up before the game, is being really in form. And he goes for this chip and chase, which he puts out on the full. 
from at least 15 meters in from touch (laughs) and you're utterly bewildered at how he managed it and how the attack went that badly I think actually I can't I don't know where my actual notes are but I think I wrote down like oh there is an attack here no (laughs) (laughs) Simon Orange Gloves Webster is playing (laughs) selling them on as well like (laughs) his further list of crimes continue and that is kind of, this is the thing, right? Scotland have, I think, two good attacks in this game, or two attacks that look like something might happen. We have yes. a moment of going, ooh. One of them is that, which leads to Webster kicking it out on the full. And the other one, I mean, spoilers for the second half, but results in the try for Dan Carter. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, the, such what? a disaster. And it's like, I, we are talking about it in jovial terms, but they are hateful. They are watch. dreadful. They are awful. I, yeah. I, what I, about I the deeply, deeply in my soul resents the fact that I have watched Scotland attack <laughs> from this rugby match? I'm not kidding. I will never forgive you for this. <laughs> what about the I'll Nicky Walker chance well. in the first half where Ooh. Patterson puts that grubber through and then former backup dancer for Wet Wet Wet, David Callum, uh, gets a foot on the ball and it starts bobbling around and Nicky Walker goes, Oh, you know what? I could pick this up and score. And just knocks it on, even though it's completely unmarked. And it's just like, oh, you wouldn't have deserved a try for that. So it's probably fair enough that you've dropped it. But also, you can't help but cheer for Scotland, as you just say. I think it's quite late on, but there's also a great moment where, like, I can't even, I think I just, like, truly stopped paying attention at this point. But, like, a a New Zealand player has so obviously fucked up the kick. It's, like, definitely going out on the fault. And I think it is Simon Webster who's like, oh, I'm going to try, like, absolutely fail to catch this. But like, <laughs> but like, touch the ball, and, and the New Zealand commentators are just like, "Why?" <laughs> and then he's him booting it into the crowd out of frustration. I genuinely felt sad about that. The thing is, right, Nicky Walker, a man of many talents, some of which we will get onto. Mm. However, not a man blessed with dexterity. No, like. The, they mentioned is... on comms he's known as Numpty since oh, school. The, the swiftness of mind. To play against this New Zealand team. Mm. Um, when Sitavini Sivavatu is your opposite man, you know? <laughs> he just. Or, it was only going to end one way. Much as I like Nicky Walker. New Zealand's highest try scorer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Setting the record and then extending the record in this game. That's what this game is actually noticeable, like noteworthy for, incidentally. Yeah. The New Zealand try scorer. Yeah, there are three ways, I think, in which Nicky Walker could score that try or take that, turn that into a try-scoring chance, at least. All three of them require a level of deftness, which he did not have. <laughs> Bless him. Did we all Nikki see Sivavatu take Nikki the piss Walker off as well? Somebody else. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information,
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. However, however, right, we are not playing the game. Sitovani Sevavatu World Cup, are we? That is not no, a popular game. No, we're not. Do you know what is a popular game on this podcast? That mm. I mm. daily have people requesting we play again. Gavin Duffy World Cup? Not Gavin Duffy World Cup. I think I've blacked out what Nicky Walker World Cup is. This is well, you're about to play it. It's this a is game. a brand new game that I have decided to play on the occasion of every Rugby World Cup match that Nicky Walker plays when we cover it on this podcast. Spoilers, this is the second and final time. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's time to play once again Nicky Walker World Cup. This is where if we were the sort of podcast that had like a sponsor at the beginning, we said we're part of such and such network, we will play a jingle, but we're not, so we don't. Yeah, if anyone wants to sponsor Nikki Walker World Cup, we'll uh, We'll keep playing it forever. Every time we play Nikki Walker World Cup. If you want to sponsor (laughs) (laughs) Bruce, if you're listening and you want to sponsor Nikki Walker World Cup, then please dubstep version of one of your songs. Please send us a jingle and every time we play Nikki Walker World Cup ever again in future, we will mention you as long as you give us money for every episode. Yeah, great. Okay. I'm gonna cry as you are. So it's time for Nikki Walker World Cup. Okay, the way this works, I'm going to give you each, we're going to have two initial first rounds, which will be the preliminary rounds, the quarterfinals, if you will. I'll give you two facts about the former Scottish rugby player, Nicky Walker. And I want you to choose which is the better fact about former Scottish rugby player, Nicky Walker. And we will move them up and keep putting them against each other till we have a decisive fact, winning Nicky Walker World Cup, the second ever Nicky Walker World okay, Cup. so I don't actually have to have any knowledge about Nicky. No, 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 no. Blacked out everything I ever learned about him in a measure of self-preservation. <laughs> cool. Okay, no, I'm going to play this. This sounds great. Let's go. Okay, so well, I'm going to ask you first. If that's okay. Then we'll come that's, to Rihanna. I'd be honoured. Okay, so which is better? The better fact about Nicky Walker that he thinks the egg came before the chicken, <laughs> and he's quite decisive on that. That he reckons it was the egg first. All oh, right. Yeah. Or that he played the bagpipes in school. Did did he have any rationale with uh, the egg or chicken thing? No, he didn't have any explanation. Oh, it can't be proven. That's it pretty woke. Uh, <laughs> it is, um, I think so. A bit 50-50 on that. Bagpipes, well, maybe he is quite a fan of Bruce Springsteen. Do we know if he's a fan of Bruce Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen? Um, I haven't asked him. No. Has okay. he played Bruce Springsteen songs on the bagpipes at school? Do you think maybe he did? Ooh. Bruce Springsteen has great songs, by the way, such as right. "Born to Run," "Dancing Which in the he Dark." He did. He was born. A good one. 
and he ran. I don't think yes. Mickey Walker was born to run. I think that's a, a scurrilous, a scurrilous lie. <laughs> you know the famous Bruce Springsteen song, "Born in the Borders of Scotland." Yeah, I'm going to say my Bruce Springsteen selection in the Bruce Springsteen Nicky Walker World Cup round one or whatever it is that I'm going to say the fact that he uh, thinks the chicken came first was it okay chicken before yeah. the egg cool yeah okay. Egg before, said egg before chicken. Egg before chicken. Yeah. Egg before... Either way, that one. Rhiannon, your question. Which is the better fact about Nicky Walker? One, that he felt like he only had one regret during his time in Wales. Or two, that he cleared, he was cleared of an incident in a pub where two of his under-20s team he was coaching, he was Max coach, got in the 20s, two of his team were left hospitalised and he was investigated for an incident for which he was entirely cleared. And you it could was get not, he was not Oh my God, that took us... <laughs> I did not know this either until a minute before we started recording. It took a real fucking turn. <laughs> I was not expecting. Uh... I can't believe I didn't get a Bruce Springsteen bagpipes. Was the fight about... Uh, Absolutely no idea. Unreasonable slur against Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Let's go with what's yes. His, what's his one regret about his career in Wales that he didn't go and see Bruce Springsteen in the world? <laughs> <laughs> I desperately want to know uh, what Nicky Walker's only regret about his career in Wales would have been. So I think that has to be the best fact because okay. that's the one where I desperately need more information. I appreciate that. Yeah. Do you want to know what the one regret was? Or if you let that, we'll let that be a mystery. We'll let that be a mystery. Okay. Okay, Will, your second question. <laughs> okay, my second question. Which is better? The better fact about Nicky Walker? Being ruled out the 2011 Rugby World Cup due to injury? Okay. Or scoring the equalising try for Hoyk in the 2002 Scottish Cup final, allowing them to hit a drop goal in extra time to win it? Okay, okay. I would probably say the fact that he missed the 2011 Rugby World Cup so he could listen to more Bruce Springsteen in his spare time. Right, that is not what happened, but okay, yes, I'll take is. your answer. Uh, Rihanna? Not Bruce Springsteen being played in that Scotland camp. Nicky mm. Walker took a stance for his principles, <laughs> faked an injury, <laughs> and went to see Bruce Springsteen at Murrayfield. Great call. Very interesting fact. Yeah, stood on the wing. <laughs> Still being absolutely useful to nobody. <laughs> Rhiannon, question four, and the final of this round. Mm-hmm. Which is the better fact that he played alongside George Horn on Horn's professional debut, or when he returned to Edinburgh towards the end of his professional career, he was asked why, and he said, "I've always had a burning desire to return north." Uh, what the fuck? I have <laughs> the George Horn. <laughs> when did Nicky Walker retire? Oh god, like 2013, 14, I think. That feels both way too recent and mm. a very long time ago. Everything about Nicky Walker confuses me. Yes, <laughs> same. Every single one of these facts. 2015, <laughs> he retired. So we also missed that World Cup. Presumably, <laughs> listen to Maury Springsteen. Yeah. I think the fact that he played on George Warren's debut is interesting in a way that has nothing to do with Nicky Walker. You've given me all of the interesting facts about Nicky Walker. You've not given I, Rhiannon anything to go on I have, here. I, 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 I have been like hard done by on this podcast. I felt that the burning desire to return north played right up your street, but I, mean, I understand. You know, but Edinburgh? Like, it's not... Yeah. 
He's Scottish. That's like I thought. Been saying I have a burning desire to return north, and I mean fucking Oxford. <laughs> it's neither geographically nor culturally northern. It's Scottish context. It's just a surprising turn of phrase for a rugby player. Yeah, I mean, Not yeah, that's true. The thing that, I, I expect them to say, "Oh, I'd like to go home to my home club or whatever," rather than I've had a burning desire to return north. Also, to go north, I'll just have a very specific. Sort <laughs> yes. Of, yeah. 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 Maybe that is more interesting. You know, it's hard to say because they're both such fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so round two, right? Will thinking the chicken came before the the egg came before the chicken? That one, or only having one regret during time in Wales. The egg and chicken thing. Egg and chicken. Cool. Rhiannon, round two. Um, being ruled out with the 2011 World Cup due to injury or playing alongside George Hall? Mm, they're both so wildly unbelievable. <laughs> being ruled out of the 2011 World Cup due to injury, which I think is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's now time. The fine, both of you, sorry, I want, and Rhiannon as well, I want you both to confer and decide on the answer, the winner of Nicky like Walker a- World Cup. It's not like a buzzer situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't sing Born to Run really loudly and then get the first (laughs) goal. So, thinking the egg came before the chicken or being ruled out of the 2011 World Cup due to an injury, which is the better fact about Nicky Walker? This is the total sum of interesting facts I can find about this man. Okay, right, Robbie, just while we confer, would you mind just quickly sticking yourself on mute? I'll leave the room, yes. Okay, yeah. perfect, perfect. Okay. I think it's important that you know like the integrity of this. Is, yes. Yeah. So while Robbie's on mute, I just want to quickly mention, when I saw Bruce on night one, he played Darkness on the Edge of Town, and it nice. was fucking incredible, right? But he didn't play Thunder Road on night one, so I spent like, most of the encore going like, oh, he's just going to play Thunder Road after this, then he's going to piss off. And he didn't play it at all, which was really weird, but he did play it on night two, and that was pretty incredible. Yeah, so when I saw Bruce Springsteen, which is a very long time ago now, actually, he played it as the, like, fourth on call at the final. Oh, man. We only got the one. Yeah, and he did. Oh, it was ridiculous. There was, like, ten encore songs. Uh, and he did the acoustic version. And at this point, like, I was oh, not man. very well. I, like, literally could not stand up properly. I'd been dancing to, like, a 20-minute version of Shout, <laughs> which I think was in the first encore, but it's hard to say. Okay, yeah. I had like full, I was so exhausted emotionally, physically, mm. in every way, rugby, <laughs> in all the ways. And then he played the acoustic version of Rugbyly exhausted. Man, that's that's too much. That's that's I'm, a lot to take on. Yeah. It's the chicken egg thing, isn't it? It is the chicken egg thing, yeah. I think Nicky Walker's philosophical certainty on a question <laughs> that has plagued professional philosophers for like millennia. Is is a fascinating fact about him and we need to know, yeah. No, yeah. No Should we let Robbie back into the room? Yeah, yeah. All right, Robbie, you can come back. Hello. The chicken egg thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree. It took us a long time. We went, we went back and forth. We debated yeah. all the nuances of it. Yeah. But... Yeah, we had to think very, really hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what won the first Nicky Walker World Cup, but I have a feeling in a champion of champions situation, that would also win. Yeah, I think so. I think let's just decide that. Yeah. And if I need to text Andrew Ford to double check, oh no, he's <laughs> Kerry Sweeney World Cup, wasn't he? But he, it's fine. Honestly, it's fine. this is the it's last fine. time you will hear this format. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're a very long time so thrilled to be a dedicated listener of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> right let's talk about Dougie Howlett's try yes Dan yeah, Carter he... throws a cut out pass which is absolutely beautiful because it's like oh Scotland couldn't dream of doing an attack which is deliberate let alone accurate yeah 
Scotland's idea of attacking is accidentally knocking the ball on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like McAllister, McDonald, both handle the ball in there, past two Howlett, who scores on the edge. Very Lovely easy. Finish. Record try. Yeah, what like, great finish. This is, so this is the try that breaks the all-time all-black try scoring record from Christian yeah. Cullen for Dougie Howlett. And I think actually it is very indicative and very much sums up the career he had. For mm. such a kind of historic try because it is a lot of other people doing the work and him doing a superb technical finish which people don't talk about people then talk about the pass and everyone else's involvements and mcdonald's involvement it's like a perfect winger try yeah like yeah yeah it's exactly the kind of thing i could imagine you specifically the two of you spending like a 30 minute video <laughs> dedicated <laughs> to like why people don't understand the importance of winger <laughs> On this one guest, are we that pretentious? <laughs> yes, we are. Is the thing predictable? <laughs> Although I would watch the video, so you know, who am I to judge? <laughs> there we go, knowing our audience. Patterson then puts the next kickoff dead as well, and it's just <laughs> great. Well done. Yeah, that's the moment in which you lose all faith that you had in Scotland. Yeah, and he goes also, off injured after that. Scott Lawson goes, Oh, Jesus, fantastic minute. Comms don't even really notice that Patterson has kicked the ball dead because, the, and I quote, we were talking, not watching. <laughs> Which is entirely the correct approach. <laughs> but they just like openly say it like, oh, uh, somehow New Zealand have the ball here. Uh, we're not sure why, because we weren't paying any attention. <laughs> Lil McDonald goes off, Nick Evans comes on, and also... Dan Parks comes on for Chris Patterson, right? Nick Evans' first touch of the ball is absolutely brilliant because I always thought think of Nick Evans for his game management and forget in 2007 he will have had an air of gas, so that's why I was playing yeah. fullback. And he skins somebody, I'm not really sure who, and then goes for this inside pass to Richie McCaw, who's like following up on the inside. Dan Parks goes for the most ludicrously positive business decision I've ever seen. Because he, I look back and kind of did a little bit of a kind of analysis on this as I watched it. As Dan Parks looks up, sees Richie McCaw's the man in support and goes, no, I'm, I'm not tackling him. And instead goes for the most unrealistic intercept that you'll ever see. Misses it by a country mile, but still somehow gets in the eye line of Richie McCaw. He's looking at him going, why is he going for the intercept? And drops the ball? Yeah. classic example of Scotland's approach to this game. Yes. <laughs> None of the things we should be doing, but things that will still ruin it for you. <laughs> also, I mean, as a comp- as a like viciously cruel comparison, to have your spare 10 off the bench be Nick Evans and then the other one be Dan Parks and for them to come on in this... I know Evans is coming on as a fullback, but still, you're just like, how much better would Scotland have been? If New Zealand's bench ten was like, yeah, it's just in their team. And like Dan Parks is great at his best, right? But he has one of those games here. Oh. In the seventy-first minute of this game, at thirty-five nil down, Dan Parks does his Dan Parks thing, where he does a beautiful kick, like touch finder bounces out inside the twenty-two, and the crowd erupts. It's the loudest <laughs> it's been all day. Thirty-five nil down, they do a nice touch finder. It's that level of poor by Scotland, but also by like Dan Parks, who has one crowd, good touch. I've got to say, in. the crowd are absolutely excellent in this game. <laughs> the first Mexican wave is like 12 minutes or something mad. Like, <laughs> really early on. And there's a point where in the second half, 
New Zealand get a penalty that like definitely they should be kicking to torch and McCaw gives it to Gardner to kick for the post and the crowd just booing <laughs> relentlessly because they want to see New Zealand score I assume <laughs> like, we don't get we're already losing like could you just show us some nice rugby <laughs> hilarious just like we are here to watch new zealand play not this <laughs> and how much they're hating those scrum resets that dominate the second oh, half yeah. as well yeah. it's great because like I, I just look at that and just go, i have no idea what's happening with the scrums i just know it's not carl Heyman's fault no <laughs> when the referee calls it across all the front rows and carl Heyman's like do i have to come and listen to this as well yeah like, yes <laughs> technically <laughs> my favorite moment that. The 2013, obviously you remember this, the 2013 Lions Church for Australia, I think it's the third match. The Lions scrum is just so mm. embarrassingly mm. dominant. Yeah. That like, I remember watching it, we were all just like, fuck it, just knock the ball on. doesn't matter who gets the put in. They're going to go about like 10 metres. This is hilarious. A bit like now when you watch Wales Women and you're like, scrum time, scrum time. Yes. <laughs> so just knock it on. Let Cecilia kill someone, you know? Yeah, like, we're not giving a shit whose putter it is. It doesn't matter. It's only going one way. It's like, it's really weird that this game wasn't that because it should mm. by right. New Zealand's <laughs> yeah. sort of commitment to trying to score, like, sort of scare quotes properly when they could actually just have been like, oh, no, it's a scrum. <laughs> constantly and just like they would have scored more points if they just repeatedly pushed Scotland back over the try line and got like like they could have just got seven penalty tries and they were like no we're gonna try to go also <laughs> right Tony Woodcock had one disallowed which is a bit of a dick move from Marius Jonker I think yeah mm. fuck you Marius Jonker never disallow a prop try especially not a good one that was really cruel for a marginally forward well, pass from a winger yeah he's hanging out on the wing himself yeah. Slotting ah. in, superb finish, bounce to someone. Honestly, like, I can't remember who the Scottish defender that gets absolutely fucking smushed. I... <laughs> uh, Hugo Southall. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, he just... R.I.P. Worse than, worse than, wait, 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 it's backup dancer David Cullen being, like, <laughs> crushed on the back of the scrum, just like, oh, no! <laughs> just so, oh. the thing I realised about Hugo Southall, who I've never rated or liked before... The thing I realised watching him in this game, his entire strategy when playing rugby, his entire style of play is just running into things. Yeah. <laughs> it's how he attacks. He runs into the ball. If he catches it, then he runs into a close defender. Yeah. And it's how he takes high balls. He just runs into them. Sometimes he catches them. Sometimes he doesn't. It's clearly um, why he was picked for this game, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but like most importantly in defence, every time there's another player running, he doesn't like get in position to tackle them. He doesn't try and dive at them or anything or like lower himself, whatever. He just runs straight into them and hopes they fall over as well. It's like he's never watched a rugby game or trained for a rugby game, someone's just explained the concept of rugby to him and he's like, cool, so you just sort of run at shit. Yeah, it's like the preliminary version of like a rugby video game where they haven't animated the tackles yet, so he just runs straight into them and it falls over. And then they just like forget to add all the other elements of like maybe you catch the ball and like have a sidestep option or something and it's just just him repeatedly (laughs) pointlessly running at things. Starts glitching out. There is a bit, there's quite a sweet bit. And again, the commentators do a very like endearing job of bigging up this move from, from Scotland, <laughs> where they sort of try 
they like they notice that there are a lot of Scotland defenders on the blind side. And I want to be clear here, this is not, I would say, an oversight from New Zealand as much as it's just unnecessary. Like, they've correctly assessed that they mm. could have 12 players on the pitch and still have a defensive line that would capably deal with Scotland's attack. But Scotland notice that there aren't that many old blacks on the blind side, so they run down there and the commentators are like, yes, this is an excellent idea. Some pick and goes here, this could really exploit like a like a New Zealand weakness, and then they just knock it on again. <laughs> so what they're good at. Under yeah. no pressure. It's not even like there's anyone, they just they just knock it on. But it's fine. Of... You get in their heads, you wind down the clock for <laughs> five minutes by resetting scrums. It's fine. They've it... adequately wasted some time, and now they've got a point. And when the ref chat tells you off, you sub your props. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> also, not long after that, there's a there's and is it is it the Woodcock trial or another disallowed one? Mm. I think it's another disallowed one. And there's a brief moment where Grant Fox is like, "Oh, I don't know about that. I think maybe." And then he just gets bored and decides not to bother <laughs> because why would you be annoyed at a disallowed try in this game? There's no jeopardy. It's never going to matter. There will clearly be more. <laughs> like even Grant Fox is like, eh, "Yeah, I just don't care enough. Never mind." <laughs> If the objective of rugby is to make Marcus Dorolo look lost, then Scotland are an exceptional team, but New Zealand are still better than them. Yeah. <laughs> Even by this metric, yeah. which you would think is tailor-made for Scotland's success. There is literally New Zealand. <laughs> no manner in which I can go, Scotland are better than New Zealand. There is, even if you said rug, the old goal of rugby is to be more boring than the other team, which arguably it is, <laughs> I still think New Zealand would very easily switch to that and win. I mean, they sort of did because they kind of had this commitment of like playing it quite tight. Mm. But it wasn't necessary. It was, ve- it also, it had such, such vibes of England in 2019 mm. in the early pool stages. It was just like, we are not going to show our hand. We're not yeah. going to give anything. We're going to keep it really tight. We're just going to do set piece after set piece. We're never really going to use the platform we have. And if we do, it will be like a really fucking simple move that the Dragons can execute two years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, because like Wayne Smith spoke about this last year when he had the Black Ferns job and said there were tactics that we had in attack in 2007 mm. that we never used. Yeah. That he was planning to bring out for the Black Ferns. And we never quite found out what those were. I think a lot of it was the kicking stuff. I think a lot of it was the kicking stuff. Yeah. But the All Blacks were essentially just playing off instinct in the second half. Yeah. Uh, and just no, knowing, I... like, we can coast to win this. Yeah. And like now I've seen another game of that World Cup beyond the France game. Mm. I understand, like, yeah, they obviously, they weren't, they weren't doing any of the stuff they had up their sleeve. Mm. It's just, then, you know, when they needed to execute it, found charity straws like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of playing right. off instinct, let's discuss the Ali Williams try with some of the shitest defence you'll see all tournament. Oh, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. Well, Ali Williams, a second row, skins Simon Webster. Like, yeah. outright beats him in a sprint. After seemingly playing in the boot, would you say, Robbie? I maybe you know it's, no he's just like I think it's by accident more edge forwardy but yeah he's on the wing yeah and like playing somebody in the boot on the wing is a weird thing that I've only ever once seen someone score off and that human being who scored that 
was Gabriel Vernier, who isn't really a human being. And doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. And so Ali Williams kind of accidentally finds himself in that position. As I say, burns Simon Webster, a winger, for pace on the outside, and then just runs into Rory Lawson and Dan Parks and just goes, what are you going to do? Like, tackle me. I can see literally how big you both are. You are not going to tackle me. And tell you what, Hugo Southwell goes for his usual defensive tactic (laughs) and just runs straight into him. (laughs) <laughs> and when it's Ali Williams, who can very easily switch back into hacker mode when one person is running at him, <laughs> he's got absolutely no chance whatsoever. So seconds before this try is the moment where I had decided that actually this was a triumph of shithousery from Scotland. <laughs> uh, like I wrote, so first of all, my notes say, all caps, so many errors, so many scrums, so many resets. I hate this. And then pivot in a big box, bolded. This is actually a fucking triumph. I've decided. Scotland are geniuses. This is amazing. How is it taken six to like there's how do they still not have a bonus point try? I would be so fucking humiliated if and then I stop writing because then Ali Williams scored. <laughs> <laughs> like a stream of consciousness, just like, oh, never mind. He doesn't do as he's told, Ali Williams. It was nice for like 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ali Williams, just not a, not a second role I think of as, you know, like a tag burn. Mm. Player. Mm. Not someone I would expect to be hanging out on the wing. Screen. Yeah. Fullbacks for fun, even when that fullback is Hugo Southwell, who perhaps does not deserve the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scotland defenders looking like bowling pins at that point. Yeah, this is also so. This is just after I've said I found it on my notes now. It's 56 minutes when McCord gives the ball to Carter to take a kick for goal, and the Murrayfield crowd start booing <laughs> because they want fun. Gets better. That's the kick that Carter, one of the many that Carter misses, and it comes back off the poles. Yes. And the like fast level is elevated even more. And that's what leads to Woodcock's like then failed try. Yeah, because Howlett catches it himself off the post, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. And then like goes to ground, somehow Scotland get the ball back and immediately fucking lose it. And then somehow it gets like wide to Woodcock. And the whole, it's just like a two minute section of just pure non-stop fast. Just give up Scotland. Nobody scores and nobody is happy. <laughs> My next note then just says Carter taking the piss try. Oh, so this is Nick Evans mm. deci- Nick Evans starts taking the piss and decides he's going to do like a little run from his 22. Carter, yes. No, less of that. I am the only one who gets to do the piss. <laughs> give him the ball back. Puffs it upfield and then just sort of like chases it. And let Scotland be. (laughs) (laughs) Just goes, let's just let them try and string an attack together because we'll score. Yeah. And like, so this is the kind of try, the one that Carter scores that just like Scotland fuck it up. He's run like lightning to catch them, just pokes the ball ahead, runs after it, grabs. This is the kind of try I expected there to be a lot of in this game. Mm. Just like Scotland being so desperately shit that New Zealand just run in like 12 tries without having to like do anything. Not what we actually got. Mm. Only be described as like turgid torture. 
But like, yeah, I thought there'd just be loads of this. And in fact, there's only one. And maybe like Dan Carter was just being really sound to Scotland because I feel like... Yeah, he's a good lad. You know, he's got Scottish heritage, hasn't he? Yeah. He was not, you know, he was missing those kicks. He was hitting the post. Like maybe he was just also like declining tries because... Inside job here, the fact this was only 40 nil. Yeah, it's actually a conspiracy by Dan Carter. Dan Carter, you've got all the mucks you mentioned. Arlie Williams also has Scottish yeah. heritage. Yeah, and whoever was in charge of that jersey thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually... Arlie Williams, a few years after this game, went on to be fined by the New Zealand Advertising Commission for making claims on a radio advert that about a particular brand of bottled water and how much better for your health it was, and all of the like healing impacts it could have. So well, I imagine he probably. <laughs> That's that really happened. That was a real thing that happened with Ali Williams. I'm sorry, on Brad, you should just play real or like truth or lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> True or false? There was an Argentina prop who went on to become a baritone opera singer. No, no, stop. So, yeah, Arlie Williams. I wonder if that's what he did to Scotland. He just gave them bottled water. It was like, it's so good for your health. And actually, it was the other thing that we found out who he was buying. Uh, No, because that would have made them hyperactive. Yeah, no, I think you've got lost in your own insanity here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because he also got arrested for buying cocaine with James O'Connor once. Yeah. That's the thing that I remember Ali Williams for. Yeah, that and him playing for Nottingham briefly. Yeah. Try to stop myself mentioning when I was saying he's not really a tag bird associate. <laughs> I just associate him with buying cocaine on the street. <laughs> I don't want to get you sued. <laughs> nah, I've said much worse. No one listens to this podcast, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Good, yeah, um, very, very liberating thing. Yeah. Can I just say, to bring us back to the world, because I see this on my next note, and it's actually a repeated note. Mm. Soy, mm. love that guy. Yeah. He's great. He's- no fun. I have no memory of this guy. I've never, I don't remember ever seeing him play another game. I get why he doesn't play a lot, right? Because, like, Jerry Collins exists. Fine. Mm, yeah. Reasonable. Classic New Zealand problem. But, like, the best thing about this game, by some margin, I would say, mm. actually, all of the players on the pitch. Just really good fun. Just He's great. Thing, He's really good. Blindside to do, and also just really fun. I yeah. never saw him play live for the All Blacks, but he spent a couple of years at, was it Castro? Where he was in Toulon and yeah. then finished his career at Racing. Yeah. Also, looked him up, boxer. Yeah, he retired to be a professional boxer. boxer. I didn't know yeah. that. Because his brother was a pro boxer as well. Yeah. Really cool. That's very cool. He's probably a terrible person now, but <laughs> just based on like, the balance of probabilities of rugby in this period. But no, the, this game, I enjoyed watching him a lot. The week after Jerry Collins died, he bleached his hair to have, and got it mm. cut in the, the exact same way Jerry Collins did, as the, the pint of Guinness hair, as they oh, called it, which is really, really nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I thought he was very good. And if you do watch this game, and I really cannot recommend enough that you don't... <laughs> I would pay attention to Christmas Oi, who is the best thing about it. Yeah. And also, yeah. one from one in his pro boxing career. Mm. Yes. Last so. December. Whereas his brother was, his brother, who was a pro boxer for many years, 30 from 36. So solid genes there, I think. Yeah. But what a worse record. Yeah, but he did. If you, aver- if you average that out, much worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Actually, if you throw in the fact that Christmas Oe has like a Commonwealth Games gold record, gold yeah. medal, played for the All Blacks in the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. won the top 14, uh, like won the European Oe's Cup for too long. I feel like he's the golden child. 
both of them did all right for themselves, so as, you know? as a golden child myself, I'm not going to let you. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, yeah, as a confirmed golden child, there's no fucking no, way. I wish. I'm not being funny. Yeah, no, no, I wish I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, I've just discovered something else. On the night after the Super Rugby final in 2006, Tanaru Manga took a woman's handbag and smacked Chris Masoi over the head with it, <laughs> breaking her cell phone. Oh wow! Wow. What a, how, a, a 2006 mobile phone? Yeah. That's like an f- actual brick. But that must, yeah. would have been a flip phone. And so it just, mm-hmm. you just broke the hinge. Like loose in a In fairness, Chris Masoi's head looks fucking hard. I think we are perhaps missing the key element of this story, but I am fascinated. Okay, but, yeah. The other element of the story is Masoi, uh, what you're saying about probably being a terrible person, was starting a fight with someone else in the pub. And right. so Tanner and Mango was like, stop that. Stole someone's handbag and smacked him with it. You can always rely on Tanner. There's so many of these stories when you look back over the history of rugby players, man. This podcast is mostly recounting fights in nightclubs. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like I have been able to say, don't start a fight with someone and convince them without stealing the possessions of another person <laughs> and breaking them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Once or twice. Like- I'm, you know, don't have the same physical and like air of authority, let's say, that fucking Tarnit and has. <laughs> I just feel like a prop wasn't. I necessary. mean, I think it's close. Pretty close. I, I do think have, it's close. I do have a very imposing air of authority. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, true. I definitely get that. Not quite as much, you know, as like a like a story or like. I could put well, I think Williams down. If you had the dreadlocks, you would. But then you'd also be white with dreadlocks. So it's a yeah, separate question mark there. But and I, you're I, a natural disadvantage. I, I could stare Ollie Williams down, I think, you know, if, if you gave me like something to stand on, obviously, to, to then to look down on him, because he's about two meters taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think Tony Romaga, he would successfully outstare me, and he does not need to steal a prop to assault someone to stop them from fighting. There are just other ways. So, uh, Doug Howard scores another try. Yes. Extending his record to the frustration of every 28-year-old prematurely retired <laughs> New Zealand winger in history. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice try. Toby Alva takes the ball on the switch, offloads to Andrew Hall, links up really nicely with Howlett, and Howlett just goes, yeah, I'm just going to race you to the corner. Yeah. And with Hugo Sovel. I think at this point, Scotland have, like, not fully capitulated, but they have sort of run out of steam on their, like, horrible yeah. shithouse plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After that try goes over, you can hear in Murray Fielder, beep, boom, and then somebody who is not the regular stadium announcer coming in to say, can all bus drivers please yes. report back to your buses? I repeat, yes. can all bus drivers please report back to your buses? For the, you know, rush people leaving. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is an announcement that Grant Fox, still not paying attention to what's happening on the pitch, is particularly an amateur. <laughs> yeah. Gets very excited about that. So everybody's already yeah. left the stadium is yeah. the takeaway from that. I just found that really funny. I thought that was like the 2007 equivalent of the network news being advertised by the commentary. <laughs> also, the earlier stadium announcements are in French. Mm, yes even though it's at Murrayfield because this World Cup is notionally in France I don't think they bothered with the French component of the bus driver announcement they just did that one in English Uh, that's Uh, not an official one the contracts that were negotiated with the Murrayfield like you know that that kind of announcement is not covered by the agreement (laughs) to start in French the game finishes with Dan Parks kicking the ball out for full time which says a lot I thought it was Mike Blair Mike Blair didn't play 
Oh, okay. Yeah, there'll be Dan Parks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, after like four minutes of Scotland just still like relentlessly trying to ruin the party. <laughs> I greatly I'm appreciated Parks going, oh, I've had enough of this. Yeah. Behind his own goal line and just giving up and put, turning And around. the whole Scotland team going like, I'm glad you're the one who said that. Yeah. Like, You'll we'll take the rap for that. For someone but... to say it, yeah. Oh, one of our more senior players in this team of people who are definitely picked to be the old <laughs> the first time in our history. Thanks, Dan Parks, for showing some leadership. <laughs> Putting us all out of misery. Hey, we only conceded a point every two minutes. Don't worry about it. Honestly, I genuinely still think that's really impressive. <laughs> it really is. There is uh, something I thought was, so I was sort of like saying this a bit at the start, but the, mm. one of the things that's like kind of modern about it is there is this throughout, because this is a World Cup pool game. This is what I was thinking, right? This is like quite a casual audience, I would I would assume, mm. even in 2007. It's like by the standards of a rugby, you know, it's like the Six Nations crowd. They don't watch a lot of club rugby. They're probably not, you know working out the like latest tactical nuances. But there's like a real commitment from the commentators and a bit the broadcasters to like tell you what the the tactics are of like uh, set pieces. So every line out, every scrum, they're like telling you where the backs are lining up and what they think they're going to do with it and stuff. Or if they forget, they tell you what you missed. And mm. it was just quite an interesting thing. I was like, I don't mm. think... I guess now a lot of the time, like, rugby is almost too complicated mm. to really convey that. But I feel like in the 2011 games, that wasn't there. And it mm. felt like this weird window into a moment where rugby was getting more technical, more tactically complex. And there was a real game effort from the commentators to try and communicate that to an audience. Yeah. trusted the audience to have a sense of what they were describing. And then we just kind of lost it. And I think that's quite sad. Mm. I think there is something that's happened where rugby's become far more introspective and it hasn't really looked to grow people, you know, to grow yeah. outside people. And if you want to get into it, then you do that on your own terms, having yeah. watched two Six Nations games rather than actively trying to capture people that are watching the old Six Nations game to come it's in and become it's fans. I think that Brian Moore does quite a bit. Like he always mm. says, like he tries really hard to convey it for like a non-expert audience. And sometimes like he's, maybe he dumbs it down too much, but like he is very conscious of who his audience is. Like Mm. there is an element of that here, but there was almost like, you know, like like I am a big cricket fan. I Mm. enjoy listening to the cricket frequently more than actually watching it. And there was something, there's something about the way that like, you know, the cricket commentators, because they know there's a huge audience for the radio they're really good at like describing the field to you and like the positions that the field is a set up in to describe to you how like the bowling team is attacking the batting team. So even if you're not watching it, you can't see it, you can have a vision in your head of what might be going on. And there was a bit of that here, like the camera was on the scrum for the most part, but Grant Fox and whoever the other fucking idiot was, were like quite committed. That's me. And he was quite good. They were like quite yeah. committed to telling mm. you what you couldn't see but needed to know. Mm. And I just thought that was a really nice, like thing. And yeah, like I think the game is more complex now, and it's harder to do. But there must, there are still ways that you could convey some of that information. Really good point. Like I really, I'm a big fan of Nolly Waterman as a commentator because mm. yeah. I think she can describe really complex backs moves and game plans and stuff to a more casual audience. And 
I think that's really important. I think we need commentators out there who can do that, as well as ones who, you know, explain the extreme kind of more, I don't know, complicated facets of the game. I think you're right. Like, you do need a little bit of everything, especially when it comes to games either in World Cups or in Six Nations. Yeah, and it's something I found, like, especially since I moved to Denmark, where I live, and I've introduced, like, loads of new people to watching rugby, like, in the pub where it's really noisy and they can't hear the commentary anyway. And one of the things I always say to people is, like, everything that you look at on a rugby field and you can't understand immediately is probably about space in some way. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah, A line-out is about creating space on the pitch and pulling all the light forwards into one area. Same for a scrum. If you don't understand the kicking, I absolutely guarantee you, even if you can't see it, it's about trying to make and create space for people to run into. Yeah. And it's something that people say to me like a lot, like that is actually a really helpful, just like rather than explain anything else, don't mm. try to explain what forwards do, don't try to explain what backs do or scrum, any of it, just say there's no space on a rugby pitch if the whole defensive line is fanned out. It's all about creating space. And then you can just... It's a really good approach. Then you can just be like, that's a big guy there. That's Gabrielle Vernier there. She's got a fucking punch on a massive hole. And that's a really nippy player there. Mm. And the defence doesn't know where the ball is going to go. Is it going to go to someone who'll like smash through the defensive line or someone who'll try and run through it? And that's like really simplified. Yeah. But actually also is not there. Mm. And it's just such a simple way to communicate like... Yeah, as a defender, you have to, you have more space to cover and more options to try and like analyze off a set piece. Sure. And yeah, that's something that I tried to do basically down the pub, but it is something I felt like they were doing quite well. They were giving you mm. a sense of like, oh, maybe it's going to be Sivavashu who gets the ball and like is big and fast. Or maybe it's going to be like a more complex move. Maybe there's going to be like some kind of Conrad Smith magic. Like there was just. Mm. Obviously, they didn't bother describing any of Scotland's options. <laughs> there weren't <laughs> any. They were pick and go or kick it out on the foot. <laughs> Fall down. <laughs> or knock it on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just, it was something that they did throughout and they tried to explain like a little bit the role of the forwards, mm. and how New Zealand were using them and like they explained New Zealand's kicking game a little bit. And yeah, it was just really interesting to watch a game that in some ways was quite far removed from what you would expect to see now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they were really good. And, you know, yeah. we've been often quite critical of some of the, particularly ITV UK stuff on this 2007 tournament. That was, mm. so it was Grant Fox and uh, Gary Wetton, who, uh, no, mm. Alan Wetton rather, who we both were massive fans of in 1987. Yeah. Some of the best players in the tournament. I think they both got on the podium behind two canines. Yeah. So. A worthy, a worthy defeat. Yes, exactly. You can't, you can't expect to beat that kind of calibre of opposition. Like, Absolutely not. They were re- apart from weirdly the bit at half time where they were sat in front of the like well not sat but like the the shot was like they're in front of the Arc de Triomphe, which is <laughs> really really weird, especially because they're in Scotland actually. <laughs> and then they just bitched about the kicking and how they were <laughs> tries. And I was like, I've walked down so many nice things about your Grand Fox. Why? <laughs> Why have you ruined it? <laughs> <laughs> But in general, yeah, I thought they were really good. And it was actually one of the things I was like really thinking of, like has a relevance to the modern game. That I yeah, was for sure. 100% not expecting. Mm, mm, <laughs> it was the only thing about this game, apart from Christmas, sorry, that you could call a pleasant surprise. <laughs> With that, should we do Man of the Match Dick of the Day and everything? Words out of my... Go on. Oh, you're like, one of your like, most frequent joint. 
guest coming for you, Jamie Wall. Uh, this is the first time I've ever actually remembered to write down a man of the match and dick of the day. Hey, I hey. myself. <laughs> Finally. So, so is your dick of the day the kick clash thing, the person, or is it somebody else? Well, I did put a nomination for Suvavatu and the way he fucked up that lovely kick pass really early oh, yeah. on. Mm, but I mean, true. that's just petty and mean and entirely pointless because it had no impact on the game whatsoever. <laughs> sure. And obviously, yeah, it's whoever agreed to those fucking jerseys because yeah, that's the worst fair. thing I've ever said on a rugby pitch. I mean, I've kind of got two written down. One of them is Dan Parks for everything. There's a point where he does a dummy kick and then thinks about kicking again and she drops it, which is just the most on-brand thing for Scotland in this game. But actually, I'm going to give it to Byron Kelleher because he gets pinged for feeding in the scrum. And look, I was all for like Gus Pichot back-chatting and stuff. I think that's great. And George Gregan likewise. But no, if if you're going to scrum off too hard and somehow get pinged for it, then you on the dick of the day list. I think if your scrum's that dominant, yes, mm. yes, you don't need to, you can put you can put it in the Scotland side and you're still battling. Yeah, yeah. You could literally put it underneath fucking Wikipedia's <laughs> David <laughs> Callum, soon to have a Wikipedia page. You could put it underneath his feet and like New Zealand would still get the ball. It's so heinously unnecessary. Yeah, no, that's kind of unforgivable. I agree with you. So my dick of the day, I've got a joint dick of the day for two people, if that's all right. Okay. My dick of the day is Francis and Alexander Crombie, who were two brothers in the, 18th, in the 19th century who introduced rugby to Scotland. <laughs> and they set off a chain of events that resulted in everything I had to witness during this game. Yep. And I think as much as I agree with you, Rhiannon, us all having to watch Scotland attack in this game is unforgivable. What they did led to that. Actually, so can we, I the Crombie brothers... Too? Can I right. pick you two? <laughs> you did it last time you were on the pod, Rhiannon, for exactly the same reason. You know what? This is so much worse. I really didn't leave myself room to escalate that time. <laughs> <laughs> Post on my own petard there. Not fine, it's the Jersey person. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, you won't want to wrap Who's up got this? a man of the match Matt then? Banahan, the Jersey person. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I considered Christmas, sorry, because I did genuinely think he was like... I think he might have got the official man of the match. He, did. he was, he yeah. Did. Yeah, he deserved that, definitely. And also a little bit Richie McCaw for non-stop shrugging in his post-match interview. Um, stopping short of actually saying, what the fuck? I hated this. This was not a real thing. Let me go. Or crying to the teacher like some of the girls on the hockey team did in my school. But like just barely, his frustration and indifference to everything was was pretty clear. But no, I think the crowd should get man of the match because they were (laughs) excellent. Like they went to see a quality game and they did absolutely everything within their power to make that happen against all the odds. And they failed, but they tried really hard. And, you know, I think they should get a participation medal. Okay. I think Christmas Hour, as you say, worth mention. And Dan Carter as well. He's good. He's good at rugby. Yeah, not bad. Um, enjoyed watching him today. As I said, John Barkley, I think, is far and away Scotland's best player. Oh, yeah. Um, he is. Two key turnovers, always uh, you know, around it, amongst it. And honestly, everything positive has to say about Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can tell he's actually thinking about defence as well, which yes. you can't say of any of the Scottish players. John Barkley has like actually understood the assignment of rugby. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, John Barkley, the stand up for Scotland by such a margin. But I think for me, I am giving man of the match to the one, the only, Mr. Tony Woodcock. 
I rate that. Sheer dominance at the scrum. Him having his try just allowed he deserves some sort of consolation. Puts Great. himself about just enough. Also, Carl Heyman got Carter, all but... the plaudits for that scrum, and fair enough. Yeah. But, like, Woodcock was there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he got was. around the park. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to agree on both Woodcock and Heyman. I think they were both just ludicrous and didn't give Scotland anything at all. Mm. But also, I kind of had a thought of like, okay, what if the scrum was entirely neutral? Because Scotland would have still been dog shit if that was the oh, case. God, yeah. True, true, true. Richie McCall was bloody amazing. He was yep. everywhere. Richie uh, coming McCall's up... support lines. Yes. Absolutely absurd. Yeah. Like, I... this is not a surprise to me. It's definitely a thing mm. that if you said, oh, you know, like other elements to Richie McCall's game, I would have come up with support lines. Mm. Yeah. Watching it, it's, it's like watching Chris Ashton, <laughs> except... The greatest player of all time on an opposite side. <laughs> I'm not a winger who has fuck all else to do except run ahead of the ball so he can be perfectly placed. Like, Richie McCaw is not spinning the entire... He's offside, don't get me wrong. But he's not, like, 40 metres ahead of the ball constantly. Like, yeah. He was great, McCaw. Yeah. Mm. But people might have a point when they say he's good. Yeah, they're onto oh, something. Yeah, but right. speaking of, I think that this game was concrete proof that Dan Carter is unplayable as a rugby player because mm. he missed shots at goal and was branded as potentially playing poorly here. And I think he was still by far the best player on the pitch for me. Like, I th- like it, the amount of tries he set up and breaks he set up and just absolutely nothing Scotland were trying to do got to his head at all. Yeah. And he was just world-class the entire time, took his try really well and... Him and the All Blacks seemed like they were barely trying and he was still utterly world-class. I, I don't get it. Give it to Carter until about a minute before we did this. And I regret it now, but I've made yeah. my choice and I will live with it. Yeah. But, well, yeah, you've given I, a props in agreement with you. Cake. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's very true. I remain committed to my decision, but I do think the point stands of like Carter is... Carter could have done only one thing <laughs> in the entire game. Like he could have just stood there the whole time and like, you know, shouted, you know, like made some attacking calls or whatever, like directed people on the pitch. But he could have just stood rooted to the, the spot the whole time and done only one thing. And that one thing would almost certainly <laughs> have been the best thing to happen. <laughs> because, yeah, when he just bothered to show up, he was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this little rubber kick that genuinely looks like something from 20 or like nearly 20 years later. Yeah. That's how good it is. I'm just genuinely going to look like I could be playing. I, I'm just playing rugby in the future. Yeah. That's you can see how New Zealand are still, until very recently, mm. kind of so far ahead of everybody else, actually. Mm, yeah. Sort of Certainly in attack. Yeah. Because basically, just like Dan Carter was like 25 years ahead of everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't really need to update anything for a long no. time. Just keep doing what that lab was doing. That's just all stuff that Borden Barrett's been doing and Richie Moonga's been doing, and they've just been copying Carter. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you, you know? Because why would you not? Like, it was just that good. Yeah, no, it's kind of annoying almost to watch players that are so hyped mm. demonstrate yeah. that the, there is no hipster position to take on Dad Carter. Absolutely right? not. Yeah. Not yeah. He's the born to run of rugby players. And I think we're kind of learning from what we said about Michael Liner, 
when we saw him the first game we had him on the podcast, he was slightly sloppy and we're like, oh, was he never that good? Then we're like, no, he's actually unbelievably fast. Yeah, he was incredible. Other, yeah, yeah, for every other game, we're like, oh no, we, we caught like the only poor 40 minutes of his career. Yeah. But I'm also just like still like the worst 40 minutes of his career. Probably better than like most of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no doubt. No but doubt. Worth having. There was I think it's it's less the case in rugby, especially now, but like in other sports, other team sports, like definitely cricket and football, there are players who it's like your game intelligence is just so unreal that it's worth having you like it's worth having you on the pitch and doing nothing, just telling yeah. other people what to do. Because yeah. you always say, Well, you know, like Marnanu is yeah. like so good that it doesn't matter how old he is. Like, in the MLR, at least, he's just always going to be... Oh, like, the England had it with Owen Farrell when he was uh, he injured his hand in the semi-final last uh, World Cup, and they left him on the field just because he's that loud and, yeah. you know, knows how to just tell other people what to do. Yeah. And, like, so in, in cricket, like, Ben Stokes is an example. It doesn't really matter, like, if he's contributing in terms of, like, what he actually does because he just stands there and tells other people what to do. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good at it. That's Makes a difference. Really and yeah, there were like football soccer players I can think of as well. Where it's the same, but like Carter and McCaw both have that yeah, vibe as well. For sure. Of like, there's no need to keep them on because it's kind of a waste in yeah. some ways. Like the team's good enough, obviously. But equally, if you were in like a pinch game, you could absolutely justify keeping them on the pitch and just be like, just stand there, just sit down and yell really loudly at what everyone else should do. <laughs> Like, it'll be worth it. You're that good. Like, just just yell how to cheat the referee, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah, they are unreal. Just not as great as that Merrifield crowd who deserve the world, in my opinion. Of course. <laughs> so, speaking of deserve the world, thank you, Rhiannon, for being on the Putting podcast. Up with us. <laughs> yeah, for dealing with all of this and us. If people want to find more of yourself, where can they do that? Oh where can they do that these days? Please don't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, which I think still exists, at Jones, And I don't really tweet very much anymore about rugby or anything, but, you know, occasionally snark. <laughs> it exists, snark. but it's borderline unusable and even more horrible. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you want me, listen to this podcast. <laughs> like two hours of me, it. that's enough, I think. <laughs> no, thanks again for coming on. We always enjoy having you. And we've discussed this off air, me and Robbie have, but even though you don't bring chaos yourself, you bring it out of me and Robbie for some reason. So I think that's, that's really probably good entertainment. I bring chaos out of a lot of other people. Mm. Because this mm. is represented in my real life. There's a lot of chaos that surrounds me and the unifying factor is me. And at a certain point, I have to reckon with like, <laughs> I'm notionally trying to impose some discipline, but actually I think I might be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's possible that I'm the problem with this chaos. This is, this is something we'll have to figure out another time. Yeah, the next time I come on, we'll work Yes. Yeah. How However... I beat Jamie Wall's record. <laughs> you're listening jamie <laughs> however the next time will be sadly without rhiannon when we will be looking at the iconic draw between canada and japan oh that's next week get that's in. next week that's can't next wait week. let's do it we'll see you then for that thank you everybody good night good night Bonsoir. Bonsoir. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 